0: All right, guys, welcome to Leadership Lessons from Titus. I'm going to pray and introduce our speaker to you this evening. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather together as men for fellowship and for Bible teaching and discussion. We pray, Lord, you give us ears to hear what you would have us to hear tonight as men and leaders. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight uh, leading the discussion and bringing the word is Tom Willis who um, is a unique person. He's uh, been single for for quite a while now. 86. Uh, Since 86. He uh, loves the Lord. He sells insurance and cigars. (laughs) And uh, he's done a lot of different things in the area of business, been involved in the stock market, things like that. And so, Tom, we turn it to you, brother. Thank you. Welcome to God's house tonight going to have some fun. Um, I told Pastor that, uh, one of the things I wanted to start with was going back to remind us because we get so familiar with our lives and how society is today, we forget. We don't know. We weren't around 2,000 years ago when, you know, uh, Rome ruled the world. And it was a much different world back then than it is. Today, and we know that you know Crete is one of the largest islands in the Mediterranean. It had a large Jewish population. Also, uh, it's the mythological birthplace of Zeus. It, it King Minos was there. It was ruled by Rome from sixty-seven BC to three hundred thirty AD. And uh, I put down the emperors that ruled the world between the time when Jesus was born. So, Paul and Peter were crucified. And Augustus was the one that was ruled from 20, uh, 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. It was during the time period when Christ was alive, and you know, the, all the two-year-olds were put to death in the, the Holy Land. And uh, Tiberius was the next one. He ruled from 14 A.D. to 37 A.D., he was the emperor that was in charge when Christ was crucified. And, uh, you know, so just to give you a little perspective there of those. Next came Caligula. He was the guy of debauchery and anything goes, and he went insane while he was emperor. Uh, Claudius was next. Claudius was a considered a, a decent ruler of Caesar he uh he, he was only there for thirteen years and uh you know things were relatively quiet at that point in time and then you get to nero and nero was uh became emperor at a young age a teenager uh he had two advisors to him uh, he later in his reign, he had them both, one of them killed and the other one he ordered to commit suicide. Uh, Serena, S-E-R-E-N-A I think is the way it was spelled, uh, there's actually a book written of that this advisor to, to Nero actually wrote letters and communicated with Paul and the book is published. I have not read the book, I have seen it, it is out there. Uh, but there were some letters going back and forth. Uh, He was ordered to commit suicide, and he slid his wrist, and his body quit bleeding. He couldn't bleed to death. And so they tried something else. They gave him poison, and he wouldn't die from the poison. And so they uh, made him get in a tub of warm bath water, re-slid his wrist, and he still didn't die. And there is uh, speculation that that... Water immersion was actually a hidden uh baptism because of the uh thing that he would converted to christianity who was this was Nero's advisor uh, serena um, but he did finally die and uh and Nero went on Nero also uh his second wife he literally kicked her to death didn't bludgeon her he just kicked her so she died, and there was no Retribution to him because he was a Caesar. In fact, during that period of time, if you were the man of the house, that was the place to be because you had all the rights. No servants had rights. The spouses were property. Children were property. Men could kill their children without any retribution from the Roman world. It was a you didn't you didn't have any rights until you became an adult in Roman society. It was a brutal, self-centered society. He was a bad dude. And he died in 68 AD. Nero's also the one that uh, was there when Rome burned. And uh, you know, he's talking about Rome, uh, Nero playing his fiddle while Rome burned and all that. He rebuilt the Golden Palace. He, you know, expanded it because of the Rome was burned. And uh, there's a lot of other things. He One of the things he did to the Christians, because he Actually, uh, Claudius was the first emperor to start persecuting Christians as a sect, and Nero continued. Nero actually, after the fire, would take people who admitted to Christianity, and we'll get into some of that, dip them in wax, dip them in tar, and use them as human torches to light the streets of Rome. And that was where it was, because they were Christians. They were a secret sect. And uh, they didn't. They did. The Christians did not follow the rules of how you're supposed to worship, in, uh, by Roman standards. And I've got something I'm going to read about that here in just a second. But history also tells us that there was Jews from Crete in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, uh, when the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. Don't know if any of you were in the room. Don't know if any of you were in the three thousand that were saved but there was a documented history that Jews from Crete were there for Pentecost because it was one of the times when men were supposed to show up at yep. um, Christianity documented in uh, Crete in about 63, 64, right around the time that uh, Paul and Titus came to Crete. Uh, it's other documentation here that, that is that. Uh, one of the things I want to read is the... Uh, Okay. The, as we know the struggles uh, that Paul writes about on his different missionary deals um, it is impossible to determine the number of Christians throughout the Roman Empire in the earliest formative, formative periods of the church or how quickly it caught it, uh but according to Rome Jews were a sect, but the Gentile Christians were a cult. And there's a big, distinct difference in those two, according to their deal. Uh, While the Jewish Jewish sect was marked differently from the Gentile persuasion that followed it, many of the basic principles about conducting one's life were similar, enough that they could cross uh, cultural conversations and meet with each other, as we know, because the disciples always went to the synagogue first to start teaching, and that. But as the as the, the as Paul spread and the missions went out, um, and he was teaching about the eyes of God and the eternal life of the kingdom, the poor, the slaves, the women, anyone who felt disenfranchised with the Roman social system that had no upward mobility outside of the military or commerce. <laughs> you were lucky enough to get into that or trade. Um, there was there was no hope. And and Christianity offered hope. I mean it was the one thing that offered hope in a hopeless world where all that you have is what is here. There is no afterlife. You know, go down to one of the temples, make a sacrifice, and maybe your life will get better. But this is not surprising how much of uh, being a good servant, being a bonds person, because there was millions of those people, but there was very few Roman citizens. Um, any of that—that uh, that was that. It the, the, the Christians didn't really aggravate Rome as much in the beginning, except that they would meet in the secret. You know, they wouldn't participate in the Roman. Uh, religious services, and as it grew and they became more in Rome and Italy and around, uh, the Romans just didn't want to deal with it anymore and said, yeah, look, let's dress them up in a bunch of uh, animal skins and let the dogs have them and let lions have them and feed them and they're public entertainment because they're disenfranchised people anyway. Um, And then they were reported to be a strange and subversive group 'cause they met in the catacombs and things like this where they the sewers and dark alleys and people's homes. They didn't meet out in the public. They didn't have any churches, they didn't have any temples. So that was that was it. The um uh, so that, that was pretty much and then the big thing that was different was that the Christians had the practice of what became known as communion. Romans didn't break bread as we know the terminology and the deal. And that was, and, you know, representing the blood and that, that was just not done. Uh, and it was such a difference that he just created more of a problem and, and isolated the more cult. the cult. Um, Claudius said, since the Jews are constantly causing disturbances at the instigation of Christ, Claudius expelled them from the city of Rome, so the Jews were kicked out. Despite the Christians remaining in Rome, and uh, yeah, and they were waiting around for the next emperor, which was Nero. It uh, Suetonius, another advisor, uh, says punishments were inflicted on the Christian, a sect. Professing a new and mischievous religious belief, so they they you know they weren't they weren't trusted, and uh, that's to say that's, that's probably an understatement that they weren't trusted. But, anyway, that's that's a little bit of the background there. Um, Titus and, and the island of Crete. Paul gives us the letter entitled Titus. It's really to the Mediterranean island. Uh, Titus was a Greek. He's was a convert of Paul's. We know he went to the Jerusalem Council with Paul. He traveled. Uh, Titus was, and two others actually took the letter that we call Second Corinthians to Corinth. And we know that Titus was left in Corinth by Crete, or left in Crete by Paul, uh, because of his administrative abilities to consolidate the, the churches that were, had started there. Um, Titus was to teach a healthy doctrine. The false teachers of the day had wrong application and so lived a wrong lifestyle. But if you had the right application, you could live a healthy lifestyle in Christ. And a healthy lifestyle would produce a good and godly life that Paul went on to describe in from last week's lessons of Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. Um, at the beginning of, this takes us into where we're starting tonight, Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the word for there is gar, and gar means that it's a, this is the doctoral reason for what has just been said is going to follow. This is the reason for that. So all those things that Matt did a great job in teaching on last week, uh, the being sober and all these things. So in Titus 2.11, it says, for the grace of God. So at that time, nobody knew what grace was. None of the Roman religions preached grace. It was an unknown concept. Uh, the Jews knew Forgiveness. They knew repentance, bad sacrifices. They really didn't have a doctrine or an understanding of grace. So I I wrote off five extra copies of this for anyone who wants it. Uh, In the Young People's Dictionary of Scriptural and Religious Terms, grace appears 206 times in the King James Version of the Bible. We use the term grace in many ways today, an example, we are living in the day of grace. You've shown lots of grace when you talk to that person. God has graciously supplied all your needs. It is only by the grace of God that we will not injured. We read it, that our blessed Lord Jesus was full of grace and truth, John 1, 14. And a great grace characterized the early assembly after the Pentecost, Acts 433, and that God's grace was needed to carry out the service of the Lord, Acts 1540. The message telling people how to be saved is called the Gospel of the Grace of God, Acts 2024. It is as though God's grace, it was, it is through God's grace that the Lord Jesus has redeemed us from our sin, Romans 324. And if a person has to do something to receive God's blessing, that is not grace. Romans 4.4. 4. So the ability that God gives to his children so that we can serve him and being a blessing to others is a result of God's grace given to us. Romans 12.6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul speaks to the Corinthian believers about taking grace to the poor believers in Jerusalem. This refers to a gift of money that has been promised. It's not the grace that we are thinking of, supernaturally from God, that it's there, and it uh, and that word, the root of that word, is what we call that giving of that grace. Is what today we call charity. Uh, charity is a word that comes directly from the from kleros, our Greek word for grace. C-H-A-R-I-N. In the New Testament, the word gift is used in place of grace at times. But when this happens, the two words are still very much the same word in the original Greek. In fact, the Greek word for grace and gift is cherished and is found 150 times just in the New Testament. The English word for charismatic, or has charisma, comes from the Greek word charis. Same one. This often refers to someone who is a very attractive personality, has special talents that cause others to be attracted to them. Politicians try to display a charismatic style of speaking to their constituents. All of this just tells us that grace refers to something that is good and something that is given without requiring anything in return. Not asking for anything back, it's not a trade. I'll give you this grace if you'll do this for me. It's a one-way gift. It's yours. It's up to us to receive it, but it's ours. Um, The one who shows or gives grace to another is generous. Someone has described grace as receiving something that is not deserved or earned. A shorter version is receiving undeserved favor. Another description of grace is God giving his children, the ability to serve and obey him. In other words, divine enabled. Grace is a wonderful word, but to experience God's grace is the only way to do it is to trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that's the best one of all. Any questions about what grace might be or want to add additional definitions of grace or thoughts? Okay. Um... And looking this up, Titus two eleven, for the grace of God, I found that there are four kinds of grace. There's actually one grace, but there's four things that it does. Be a better way to look at that, in my perspective, because it's not like God has grace A, B, C, and D, and which grace do you get? That's not the, the truth. The first kind of grace is salvation. Ephesians two eight says for by grace you are saved by faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God. There's justification, Romans 3.24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. Justification, Titus 3.7. That having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And there's this other one, Galatians 5.4 you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Not by works. It's a gift. The uh, the next one is teaching. That's what we're actually going to be getting to. Titus 2.11, For by the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. Very explicit. Then there's enabling grace. Is grace that enables us to go out and do what we've been called to do, but what we want to do in Christ. And that uh, one I found uh, was uh, Zechariah 4, verses 6 through 10. This is the word of the Lord Jesus' room Not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by your ability, but by my spirit. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a flat plain. He shall bring forth the capstone, and with shouts of grace, grace to it. Capstone being the final stone in the building, representation of Jesus Christ. Grace, grace to it. And moreover, the word of God said coming to me, The hand of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation of this temple, his hands will also finish it. You will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who is despised the day of small things? The temple had set not work on for sixteen, seventeen years. Weeds everywhere. For these seven rejoice to see the tongue line and the hand of Zerubbabel." They are the eyes of the Lord which scan through and close to the whole world. That was stuff that my mom had eyes in the back of her hand and she could see whatever I saw, but never accused her of having seven eyes seeing everything. So uh those are four kinds of things. We're going to be taking about this teaching grace. Um, what I would like is at the bottom of page two of your handout. I have three different versions of the scripture tonight. I would like three different people to read one of these. And whoever wants to go first is King James version Okay, Max. The grace of God that brings salvation is a spiritual teaching us that denying God and godliness and with us we should live soberly righteously and godly in the age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people, jealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort it, and give of all authority, let no one despise, remind them to be subject to rules and authorities, to obey be ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Okay. I'm going to read the New American Standard. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in his present age, looking for the blessed hope and the hearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, sell of good deeds, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority, let no one disregard you, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For the free gift of eternal salvation is now being offered to everyone. And along with this gift comes the realization that God wants us to turn from God's godless living, and sinful pleasures, and to live good, God-fearing lives, day after day, looking forward to that wonderful time we've been expecting, when his glory shall be seen, the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He died under God's judgment against our sins so that he could rescue us from the constant falling into sin and make us his very own people, with cleansed hearts and real enthusiasm for doing kind things for others. You must teach these things and encourage your people to do them, correcting them when necessary as one who has every right to do so. Don't let anyone think that what you say is not important. Remind your people to obey the government and its officers and always be obedient and ready for any honest work. They must not speak evil of anyone, nor quarrel, but be gentle and truly courteous to all. Thank you, guys. It's, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about this is that, you know, it, it just makes salvation has appeared to all men. It's freely given. Everyone has an opportunity to accept it. It's not just for the select few or just the elite or just you know certain members of society. It's available to everybody. And it teaches us to deny the ungodly world and us that we should live soberly and righteously. In the present age. You know, I know that this was written back in about 65, 68, 80. But we still live in the present age. Now, the world hasn't changed since then. You know, how things are done, how people travel has changed a lot. But it's still the present age. This is still great advice on how to grow up. Because back then, anything
1: you wanted to do was
0: fine. You know, there was no... Accepted Judo christian for the whole world at that time. Uh, In verses 13 and 14, it reminds us of the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Rapture. Even then they were talking about it coming to be ready, to persist, to stay. And reminding us that, you know, Christ gave himself all for us and that he would be returning. That he would redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself and us as his special people. We were chosen at God. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't by half or chance. I just didn't turn left and should have turned right, and some of them the wrong doorway. You know, it, um, it also tells us to speak those things to exhort and rebuke with all authority. And let no one... I actually like the living Bible one. Let no one think that what you say is unimportant. Which rings a different way than let no one despise you. And I haven't looked at what the word despise meant back in the 1500s. But, you know, But no one... Think that what you have to say is unimportant, especially with Christ. It's always important. It, yeah, uh, the you know, blessed hope is in John, First John, three, three, and First Thessalonians. It gives us that promise of what's coming. And then in chapter three, verses one and two, there are seven things that it, that He tells us that we should do as good, godly citizens. Be subject to the rulers, the people who have authority. To be obedient. To be ready to do whatever is good. To slander (laughs) To be peaceable. Considerate of others. And to show true humility towards all men. And what I was studying those is like Yeah, well, I can say pretty much I violated every one of those. I I missed that mark at some point in time, and uh, it did not. uh, And there was no, there there was conviction from the Holy Spirit, but there was no condemnation or judgment. I don't know. And uh, but no, I resist authority and there are times I've not been obedient you know there are times I've not been ready to do what was good and sometimes I didn't want to do what was good just but other things that I wanted to go do that was my own interest and uh, just trying to know not to speak ill of anyone and there have been times I've been sorely tempted to say bad things about some people in fact, I, I, my brother was sharing with me on one of his, his jobs out in Lovett a couple weeks ago. There was one guy at the at the work. It's Just he's a pain to everybody. It's just a pain. And um, and Steve got real upset with him and just blew off and just told him you know, what an idiot he was and what, what how stupid he was being and what he was doing. And he says, "Now." I had to apologize, and then I had to go pray for him, and then I had to go pray for me. Because I knew better. And I still did it. I knew better, and I still did it. It's, just, it's still very good. It's smart. As we I have to go with the I so As we said in James, the tongue is a hard thing to control. Uh, to be considered to show, show true humility towards people. Um, we'll get to the fill in the blank thing in a minute. That's the highlights. Who would like to share about any of these and how you have mastered some of the areas? Or maybe not? The floor is open. Well, I think you did an, an incredible job of talking about the Roman government, and you know, we we get mad at our government today,
1: Obamacare.
0: to talk about Texas uh, succeeding from the Union and, and <laughs> things like that, and we get all stirred up, but we we don't even remember that these guys have been in a much much more oppressive government, uh, and that they're you know, like you said. If you weren't the man in charge, you know, you were a slave, you were a child, you're a woman, you were just oppressed. And, you know, here he is saying, you know, you need to, you need to be obedient to those guys. Whatever authority place placed you, Paul quotes that in several of his letters about being subject to the authority and above to others. And to me, that's just amazing. Because, you know, if I start thinking about Some of the things our government does is wrong. It makes me mad, yet it's not even close (laughs) to the kind of oppression these guys live under. Just be able to declare you're a Christian was probably looking at a death sentence. You know, you you mentioned two of them, the uh, eating by the lions and the human torches, but I think they were very skilled in many ways of killing Christians. Well they didn't stop crucifying them just because Christ died. I and mean, that, that was works. practiced throughout the entire known world at the time. You know. And that didn't stop the scourgings or the beatings or being thrown into prisons and you know, if you weren't a Roman citizen, you had no day in court. I mean if, if a Roman citizen came against you and, and accused you, you lose. You don't have any rights. You know, and uh you know, it and you're right, it it's yeah, Go ahead. And Then you led us from there to the Greek word guard, That just kinda of opened up the text for me. But based on what is said, here's what makes it possible. The grace of God that appears to everyone teaches us, which to me to teach someone is to impart information ahead of somebody knowing it. So it is a form of leadership. So the grace of God leading us, I think the closing statement there is to lead the holy life. And yet this grace has appeared to all men. So it's important as leaders that we allow the grace of God to lead us. And in our difficult times, even though our difficult times fail in what they were facing,
1: Not to throw a wrench in what you said, and in spirit, I agree with you. Um, However, there's a book called 5,000-Year Leap, which America was set apart as a city shining on a hill, totally new concept of what government means and to be ruled by leaders. And our system is set up, and it will only work properly if the people and the leaders are both working together you've got a mayor in Houston now that says it doesn't matter what sex you are you can go in either restroom in the city of Houston you've got school districts in this country that are now refusing you if you can defend two plus two equals five you're right it's called common core you've got bakers in certain states now that are told we don't care that your opinion your religious view doesn't matter anymore you have to make this case for this gay marriage yes as christians we can't just walk along and be the sheeple and say um well my government says i have to obey i mean there's there's a time when you've got to draw a line in the sand and i don't i don't really think this you know, this verse is necessarily saying, okay, you're the sheeple. You have to obey your leaders because if your leaders are corrupt.
0: The phrase is be subject to your rulers. Mm-hmm. doesn't say agree with that, but you are subject to it.
1: Because we had a bombshell last night. Bill David Bratt in Virginia 7 took out the majority leader. Yes. And the majority leader... And the leadership in the House still doesn't get the message. Right. They're still ignoring the will of the people. And when you've got people that are rising up and saying, "We've had enough. We're taxed enough. We're we're not. We're trading tariffs."
0: There's a concept as well, and I, I use this a lot. <laughs> it's managing up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where we just say, "Oh, it." It's like, well. Sometimes their ideas or their decisions are not the best decisions. And there is a tactful and a good way to help manage stuff <laughs> to give them the ideas to make them shy. So when I use it and I and I encourage, you know, college kids and stuff like that to take this stuff off too, is to find the ways that make the manager look really, really good <laughs> and get those better ideas going to tough too. So when I see subject to rulers, I see that framework as well, that we have things we can do, and maybe that was at this time some kind of avenue for discussion. We know about, like, Mars Hill and, you know, in in Greece where there were, you know, you had you had been, you know, the town news was the, the herald would come out and maybe yell at the top of their lungs about what's happening. Now. And then you had all the people in the... You know, people be taking lunch breaks and coming and hearing the news there in the town square around the fountain, and everybody's yelling. And you know, back then there was some kind of a sign that they did with their hands. Like, oh, somebody wants to speak, and so there were there were ways for discussion and things going on to bring about ideas. And uh, but what I see as far as being humble and subjective is being uh, it, with people around us is being submissive to the Holy Spirit in the way that's going to be reaching to you. Yeah, just to comment on what you're saying, I, I I really do agree with you. All through Scripture, God's law is always higher than man's law. Right? right. There's, there's, you're to be subject to the authority, pay our taxes, don't speak, don't steal, do do the things that the law commands us to do, yeah. be ready for every good work. It's in the same verse. Yeah. And 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 you know be you know honorable to. You know, I was in the and I had some some commanders that were uh, as a low life as they could get. And yet, when they walk in the room, I'd come to attention. When they walk by outside, I'd salute them because, see, I'm respecting the position, not necessarily the person. And, and I think that's what Paul's talking about being subject. You know, I was still subject to that commander. Now, that doesn't mean I have to go do the behaviors that go against God's will. And in fact, that is a time that Paul gave his life, as many people, because it came a point where, you know, we're not going to do this because this is our faith. This is against God. And you know, that's why they were being executed. Um, you know, we're not seeing that kind of persecution yet. I think it's possible we'll see it maybe in our lifetime in America. Um, we, we need to be ready for all the good work, but still be, it's just like the commandment. Uh, for children to honor their father and mother. There's no qualification. Your father and mother are Christian. They're good. They're nice to you. You show them respect. But you still, you know,
1: you don't have to agree with anything that they're doing.
0: And you may suffer economically. That's right. We're not going along with their ungodly requirements. That's right. I still honor them. As much as it depends on you, walk peacefully. Or like the, uh, the the donkey of Balaam, was it? He told Balaam, I know, you know, and obviously it was for Balaam's uh, own benefit, right? But he didn't understand that. Tom just wanted to be the death, right? But, uh, but you yeah. know, but it's still respectfully, you know, in subjection of Balaam and what his Balaam's wishes actually were, speaking <laughs> so, you know. of. Well, I've found that I can be rebellious. Under ideal circumstances, when everybody over me saying the right thing and telling me to do the right thing, if that spirit of disobedience and a renegade spirit, if it's working in me, even if the government's corrupt, I can still have a spirit of rebellion harbored in my heart or I can try to find something that I can submit to, some good thing. You know what I mean? I think that's what we're going to have to do. I don't really want to say what's going on in our country, but we may have to look for something. So, just instance, one time I wanted to go to church on Tuesday night, for a meeting, when I was in the army. Well, they came up with this rule, can't go into town on Tuesday. So I started, just started working on it. Well, I, we should, we ought to obey God rather than man. I started to let that work in me, and the Holy Spirit convicted me. I said, no way. Go ahead and submit forget yeah, it, have a heart to me and let God work that out and I, I think that's one way uh, the gospel's going to work in us it, to be revealed to people is not uh, rail against them just like they rail against us but to find something that we can submit to some good thing some godly thing and let the spirit of submission work in our life which definitely speed in terms of your parents. Maybe it's drive the speed limit. (laughs) All government regulations are not bad. You know, right here it says for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Mm. Probably Romans too. And I was telling Matt about an experience I had last week where This guy comes through the x ray machine every day and he's impeccably impressed. He's a lawyer. And I just got to where I kind of rescued him one day because the other officer was kind of bullying him around. I kind of rescued him. I came over here and we made friends. So one day he came through and I, I pulled up a picture of my new tractor and I showed it to him. I said, Man, every young man ought to have one of these. I'm just kidding with you. And he says, I'm on a a biotractor, and I'm not real sure what to do. I want to talk to you about it, but I I can't right now. I've got to go to court. So he goes to court, and over the next few days, he comes in, and he starts to talk to me about it, asking me all these questions, and he looked like an Israeli. That's what he looked like. He or an Italian maybe. So I asked him for his card, and his first name is Navid. Do you have any idea what Navid is? I wanted it to be a Jewish name. That's really what I wanted i mean after all we're we're into this messianic Jewish thing. We love Israel. It's you know he's a he's an Iranian The grace of God has appeared to Iranians. I thought they were the bad guys. you know I remember us talking about when they took the hostages that we ought to just move that country and pour a four-inch slab over the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sorry. Well, it's to <laughs> <sand>. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I, I travel in rough circles. But but anyway, it threw me, and I said, God, you set me up. Mm. I made friends with an Iranian, the Medes and the Persian. So I don't know where it's going, but when you read that verse, it has appeared to all men, so I don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> well, you know there are Iranian Jews, so yeah, maybe you... and there's Iranians who love of the Lord. <laughs> it's, uh... So the grace of God is for everybody.
1: And remember that our, a lot of people, don't understand that it wasn't the, the, founding fathers that really shaped this country, and and establish this country, it was their spiritual leaders.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was their it was there. Even those that didn't call themselves Christians still recognize the pastors of their day and their authority and calling out and you know, the abolitionists for years and years and years screaming against slavery and from the pulpit and and oh, that we had religious leaders today that cared more about um, where we come from instead of, well, am I going to lose my tax exempt status if I say anything? And what's happening is people have been so silent for so long because they, they're not speaking out that today, and I told a pastor years ago, women we were talking about the whole Obamacare thing in, in Nevada. I said we're well, gonna come up to your church one day and there's gonna be a chain across the door and where the government has shut you down. I mean it that day's coming if, if if Christians don't speak up and if pastors and spiritual leaders don't speak up and start saying, calling for people to instead of just sitting back and um
0: there's, there's, silence. there's an argument that I've heard from the government. IRS is you having a special tax exempt status where so you don't have to pay taxes to government is actually the government supporting you as an organization because we're not taking what the tax is that we should be getting so therefore we're supporting you by letting you keep that tax money. So the shift of the idea of It was never the government's money to begin with. You know, it was God's money. We're using it for God's purposes. And God has opinions about what's going on in the world. And and the the, the other phrase in here, it says, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority." Let no one disregard you or think that what you have to say is unimportant. Those are two different versions. But the but the fact is, is that in addition to salvation, because this is not about salvation here. the salvation is already established. It's already shown to all men. Now it's about opening your mouth and speaking, there. Are, and I was in the military, like Steve. And there's a way that you can go in, in the military, to a superior officer and tell them exactly what you, you think that's in absolute opposition to what they have said or what their orders are or what they have expressed. But you can do it with respect and not out of uh, rebellion. Because if you don't do it with respect, there's consequences. And the same way out here in the regular world. I mean, there are ways to go in and speak to those things that governments are doing around the world. You know, and the United States. There was no other democracies around the world. There was all kingdoms, kingdoms, principalities. And the king ruled. Whatever the king said, did. And if you the king didn't like it, you went to jail. You went to the dungeon. You know, you may have been put in the stocks, you may have been slaughtered, you may have been, you know, Vlad the Impaler, stuck him out on stakes by the hundreds and thousands just to let people know who was in charge. You know, that was a different type of authority, but he had it. Not the best use of it, but he used what he had. But coming back is, you know, the thing that we have that none of the other religions offer is the blessed hope of His return. We have the only Savior who has an empty grave. We have the only Savior that has told us in front of witnesses, "I will return to get you." And we have that when other people do not, you know, and you yeah, and we should. And as it says in chapter three, verse one. Remind them, remind them—not just the believers, but remind the other people—that you're subject to their authority. Doesn't mean you agree to it, but you're subject to it, and that you're being obedient. You might have a, an obedient uh, protest, you know. Um, you're not out here running around with a bunch of automatic weapons and beheading people and blowing up buildings along the way. You know they have they have some very disobedient protests going on in uh, Syria right now. Uh, several hundred thousand people have been killed, and they are resisting the authority and authority is wanting to kill the people who are at that and and it's coming out and there's millions of people being shuttled out to dislocation camps. And it's uh but it calls on us to be ready to do the good deed, to malign no one. And that's kinda hard. That one's kinda hard for me on a lot of days. It's, you know, uh there's some people that do some bad things out there and I just oh God, come on. But to show every consideration for all men, to be thoughtful, courteous, considerate—that these seven traits were not the normal adult way of being in the first century, or the second century, or the third century under Roman rule. They just weren't. You don't have to be considerate of anybody else. You, you have the might, and you have the authority. Your way, no way. We'll find a um. Anything else to add? Yes, I have a question. <laughs> um, you must teach these things and encourage your people to do them. I read I reading the Living Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, what's my question? My question is um, where, like in chapter 3, it says you must not speak evil of anyone. But then it says you must teach these things and encourage your people, correcting them when necessary. Mm-hmm. And then the other version is uh, reprove with all authority. Mm-hmm. Remember, I am talking to Titus about how to instruct people to live a godly life. Okay, I don't want to stir up battle. Stir your hearts, Peter. No, I don't mean. But I don't see how that has anything to do with the government. What does that have to do with us and the okay. American government? Because this sounds like it's talking from a, an elder to its people. Yeah. So it doesn't sound like it's okay. In the, uh, the Living Bible, you get out in your disagreements with the government. Right? Well, in the Living Bible, says, Remind your people to obey the government and its officers in um, the New American Standard, right above this, reminded them to be subject to rulers and to authorities. Um, and then before that, in the King James version, reminding them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey and be ready to work. Back then, the ones who were in authority were the ones in the government or the military. There was no if you weren't a Roman citizen, and we were talking about this earlier when you got here, you didn't have any rights to speak of. And if you cross someone who was a Roman citizen or a military soldier... What, what, what I'm trying to say, and again, maybe off off base, but it seems like maybe it's the Texas Christian way, but you got to fight for your right, for Jesus, and for what's right. Mm-hmm. Right, you got you got to stand up against this evil that is taking over our country. I don't understand how that relates. How that? Well, it's, it's okay. It's, it's how to the subject came up with. How do we submit to the ruling authority if the ruling authorities are bringing injustice in the world? How do we do that? So we wrestling with that. It's right. okay. happened in the founding of our nation. The ruling authorities are bringing injustice. Into world and uh it's been said by some and proven by others that man the church was like in the middle of all that. So, I'm, I'm top of that. so that very thing was happening. Um, you know, being subject doesn't mean being quiet. In fact nor does it mean nor does it mean submissive. <clears throat> but it just means it, it's it's the way you do it is not uh you are still being obedient. They are, but not to the point of, of violating your Christian law, I got Paul killed. Right. The governing authorities killed him. Meanwhile, he's writing this: submit to the governing authorities. But there was a there's a, there's a line in the sand somewhere. And, yeah. I would I, I would I would infer one it's not it does not say submitting. It says subject to. Recognize yourself. I mean, you are subject to the speed limit when you're driving on the road. Sure. You may submit to it and drive the speed limit or less. Or you may not drive more than the speed limit. I just I think but what you're the issue in me is I I am a little uncomfortable when uh Christian stands up almost aggressively um against the government. And and not that it's I don't I'm not saying it's wrong. I just I'm wondering is that um what's I guess the right way to do that, or is that is that okay? Yeah. I mean a good. You're later. <laughs> 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 Let's see what Joey has to say. Okay. Now, I guess I know the response of first Peter, I read the third chapter, verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone. Who, gives, who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. I think what we're talking about here is there's always going to be a line where we're going to be asked to be subject to the, to the governing authorities. Until it crosses that moral line. And once it crosses a moral line where God says, this is now my kingdom rule, we have to stand up to that. Yet we stand up in reverence and gentleness and respectfulness. And if that causes us to become reviled and, and, and hurt and persecuted and thrown in jail, then we accept that. doesn't